you can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life be real Welcome one and all to a movie reviewing reappraising genre hopping podcast on the Playlist Podcast Network. This is Be Real from Portland. I am Chance Solem Pfeiffer and three people today joining from the unlikeliest place considering we watched a movie about New England hauntings. Uh, Noah Ballard, what's going on over there? What's up, buddy? Uh, <laughs> we're Yeah, we're in Wilmington, Vermont. Uh, Lucy, my girlfriend, and our mutual friend, Bree. Uh, we've taken a few days away from the city, and we've gone on hikes, cooked a lot of food, and of course, we watched three movies of a similar genre. Lucy and Bree, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. And thanks for watching these movies. Um, you guys encounter any forest sprites? And or New England demons. What's going on over there? We were close to some demons today, I will say. For sure on a on our hike today. <laughs> nice. Yep. The yeah. non-maskers. Yep. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> That's well done. Experts. <laughs> um, Noah, what's our genre today? We're going to be talking about the... Halloween fair of one Tim Curry. This is a very Tim Curry Halloween episode uh, featuring, of course, Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, the somewhat little scene and worthy of a reappraisal legend, and then the It uh, original TV movie. I want to know how this lineup of films jibed or didn't with your with your cabin weekend. Well, I tried to do movies about thruples in cabins and that just like didn't take. So this I want to likes to come that. up with, with genres that don't actually require any movies as inspirations <laughs> for them. She just likes to think of, you know, genres that should be. Uh, I was movies. just trying to be like obscure. Mm. But that is the next innovation of our show, which yeah. is start thinking of situations that no movies fit. Okay, moving on. <laughs> but did you have fun watching these in a cabin? Did it feel right or weird? Felt cozy. I think it felt cozy. Felt good. I wouldn't. I think I probably enjoyed it more since I was in a cabin. I have to tell you, <laughs> I haven't watched this many movies back to back in a long time, and I'm at oh, the fun. end. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it'll warp your brain. And one of them yeah. is basically two movies. Definitely. Yeah, definitely felt that way. But we broke that one up and like had some food in between, which is a definitely necessary thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. We're going to start with Rocky Horror Picture Show, 1975. That's great. All right. Rocky Horror Picture Show, made in the year 1975, uh, follows a newly engaged couple who have a breakdown in an isolated area and must seek shelter at the bizarre residence of Dr. Frankenfurter. You've seen all kinds of movies, but you've never seen anything like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is wonderfully weird. You know 
they're probably foreigners with ways different than our own. It's fabulously freaky. It's a trip to transsexual Transylvania. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Transsexual Transylvania. The story is strange. What is everyone's experience with Rocky Horror Picture Show? Midnight screenings, live performances. Where are you guys at with this one? This, we hadn't seen yeah, it. This was my first time. Mine too. Very well. into it. Yeah. None of you had seen it before. That's interesting. No. I had seen it. At least three other times, like in midnight release type settings. How long cool. ago was your last viewing? I think it was. It must have been either early, late late college or late high school, early college. I remember seeing a screening uh, with some friends that was like set up in the backyard of this this mutual friend from high school, which was like a pretty cool vibe. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it, it's, aren't people supposed to be dressed up and like singing, dancing, like in the crowd? Right, that's that's the whole that's gimmick. Their thing. Yeah, and there's like props that you that this person had prepared for us to like interact with the scene. Like when they say toast, you're supposed to throw toast at the Ooh. screen, for example. Oh, okay, okay, that's fun. We didn't do that. No, we did not. That sounds like a better. We did not do that. I did <laughs> dispose of some. Uh, some honey wheat bread, though, I think, during the intermission. So that kind of counts, right? <laughs> yeah, this is 45 years old this year. And considering it started as a stage musical, yeah, there always has been that sort of social phenomenon to it, that uh, that live element, even when you're just watching the the cult movie. Um, Noah, how did it strike you not away away from uh, from Midnight Fanfare? Well, it's interesting because like in a midnight, like just as you're saying, in a midnight screening like that, you're really not paying attention as much to the movie as to like the situation you're in. So this one, I was like, I was finally like, oh, I'm going to actually like interact with the plot of this movie and like really try to follow it. And I've got to tell you, it's probably best to have some socializing going on. Like as this movie (laughs) unfolds. Yeah. I'm not sure plot is the point. Um, no. Is Tim Curry pretty much the point? Oh, yes. he's definitely mm-hmm. the point of at least this yeah. one. This movie takes a second to pick up, and then like when it does, it's like rolling. But I think his entrance, the iconic elevator down into the oh sort of God. ballroom, is unbelievable and like one of the best entrances of an iconic character in cinema. Did you know that originally they were they like really pushed to have the movie in black and white and then it would like turn to color when he when that scene happened but it like Wizard of Oz style. Yeah. Wow. What an interesting idea. <laughs> it um, didn't happen though. <laughs> no. Huh. Well, it's um, got the the lips in the beginning is like very sort of iconic in a lot of ways cuz that's always ends up on the poster and how the the title itself is often stylized. Uh, but I, I just love how they're playing with color early on and like the difference between dark and light. So I think it would make sense to see that beginning in black and white because it's almost like, I mean, the movie goes out of its way to be an old black and white movie at the beginning. 
Right. It's making all of these references to uh, horror and sci-fi movies of the 40s and 50s and sort of like shamelessly so, like messily so, of just like, it's a vampire movie. No, it's a Frankenstein movie. No, it's an alien movie. It changes four different times. Yes. Um, so wait, Chance, what was the experience that you watched this one? Um, on your laptop during I midday? Was your dog night. there? she was um i watched it last night you know stone cold sober not (laughs) probably the appropriate way to go about it i was sort of like critiquing the audio mix i was like susan sarandon's like falsetto is not working in this and then tim curry showed up and i forgot all about um exactly exactly that's the point can i run something by you guys are is every single one of these movies at its best when he's on screen? Is that putting the cart ahead of the horse too much? No, that's right. That's the only thing that these movies have. Okay, maybe yeah. it the has like thing. a little bit. Okay, it has. The, <laughs> okay, it has a little bit more, but like the most enjoyable moments. The movie really kicks into uh, psychosexual gear once yeah. he arrives on screen and, you know, sings about being a transsexual trans trans Transylvanian for this being his first film role. I mean, he, he was, he played Frankenfurter on stage for a couple years before this. I feel like the thing that's really amazing is he can go really big. There is the show stopping wild campy element, but he's also like so close up ready. Like there are a lot of very confident, small gestures to Frankenfurter that also blow everyone else off the screen. Um, like when you think he's going to go like overly performative with something raunchy and he kind of underplays like a good way to release tension and he just like the cor- small corners of his mouth, like it, it's, a, it's really cool because stage actors can't always work a camera like that. He also has those excellent moments too in one of the movies, like sort of raunchier moments when it, He's sleeping with both Barry Boswick and Susan Sarandon. And it's kind of like, is like who's acting where and who's in the shadow? And when is it Tim Curry? And when is it the other actor? Or is it merely Tim Curry the whole time? Like it's pretty interesting uh, how he just uses his physical being as a as a shape to act. Mm-hmm. Guys, how did this scene make you feel? Both like those two instances. Loved it. Like, were you like, okay, can you why? Um, because having never seen the movie, I was like, how is the obvious, um, sort of like juxtaposition of, uh, you know, Rockwellian button up like weirdos who like something is off in their relationship. How are they going to be confronted with sort of like the uproarious, like queer circus of this, of this castle. And by the time, um, Frankenfurter just sort of like seduces both of them with exactly the same words and exactly the same moves. I felt like, okay, here we go. Now we're, we're in it. It has a funny read too on like how power works in those kind of dynamics in a way that I thought was pretty sound by like a 2020 standard of like how power works, but also consent works. Because like you said, he uses this stock dialogue with them to get in their pants. And of course, they push back at first because they have these these norms that they're attached to. But then, of course, that it quickly gives way to interest and you never feel like 
He's preying on them. He's just sort of like putting that little key in the lock. He's like Thanos. Well, that's why he's inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a similar read on this, and that's why I asked because at first, like when he seduces Susan Sarandon, I'm like, she is saying no. And then I'm like, okay, through a 2020 lens, like this does not. What is the word? It doesn't. Up to snuff? It, whatever. Above board? Um, so at, it doesn't age well. It Like that was my initial reaction, like a second in. But then I was like, no, I'm very into this. Like the consent is there. I feel good about this. And I was like, yeah, he probably could have seduced me. <laughs> Tim Curry in that little leather outfit could have absolutely in his course take some notes. Yeah, I mean, because there is something about that. I mean, I made the inevitable joke, but when they're both like, "It's you," and he just goes, "I'm afraid so, darling." Um, it's just like, it, yeah, yeah, he's afraid so, and this is what's gonna happen. <laughs> People will submit. Uh, let's talk about the music. Favorite songs. I didn't remember how much I liked <laughs> Meatloaf in this movie when he just like bursts through the cold storage uh, and starts singing uh, what sweet rock and roll. Mm-hmm. What's the song? I think that's right. That was just such a, like a fabulous, I don't know, because his part still doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but it definitely cuts the movie in a way that's like, hey, you think these people are strange from this first 15, 20 minutes here? Look at your own Americana and like how weird that is too. And it's not that much different than the kind of thing we're showing you here, sort of dressed up and brightly lit. That's a good point. Lucy Brie, the music? Lucy likes the time warp. No, time warp only is my favorite because Noah like broke out and danced in the middle of the street the other day, like talking about <laughs> we this. We were walking I, to get coffee. Yeah, and I was I got that song stuck do. in my head for whatever reason and I began I took a jump to the left. You know? <laughs> it was the hip thrust that got me. <laughs> Nice. It was yeah. There was the pelvic thrust the that, pelvic uh, that made thrust. it yeah. unforgivable. Sure, <laughs> that was when I was driven insane. What do we think of the non-Curry elements? I'm I I felt like Richard O'Brien, who wrote the movie and plays Riff Raff, the hunchbacked uh, handyman, alien. His his presence down the stretch is maybe like a little conspicuous. Like, the end of this movie is, like, really about riffraff and magenta in a way that, like, that's not the appeal of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Right. If I do have any critique of the movie, it is that it certainly doesn't land as comically as it took off. Mm. Um, and I think when it pivots into that third sci-fi act... Uh, I was less engaged because there's also not a ton of music like after that big number in the swimming pool. Right. Yeah. Like the climax itself is not a musical number. Did you guys feel like it's that it's the stun gun? Right. (laughs) Lucy, you can back me up here, but 
as I'm always saying in the podcast, setting is so important for me. And this is a like a house movie. We love a I story love a about house a house. Movie. <laughs> exactly. So I think it was a, that was a thing too. That I mean, these movies, a lot of them do have some sort of like house element to them. Um, but like the best kind of Halloween horror camp stuff, like usually takes place in a place that used to be something better. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And that you can't get out of. And now has a Medusa machine. Wait, can I tell you one other fun fact? Of course. <laughs> Originally, okay, so they cast the actor, well, they cast Rocky, who is ju- was just a model, and they originally were going to have him, like, have lines, but when they heard him speak, and he was, like, such a horrible actor, they just, like, <laughs> cut his speaking parts, which is pretty funny. Peter Hinwood? Yeah, his, he's just a slab of, his, of meat? Yes. All of his singing is clearly dubbed over, too. I mean, I think everybody, like, redid their their singing in this, but like yes. for him, it's, it's not the same person, and it's pretty clear. When right? he's demedusa'd, like, his lips, like, aren't even saying words. I like that you can do the, you know, uh, Medusa lightning machine on one hand, but then my favorite production design moment of the movie is where... Uh, Frankenfurter rips the tablecloth off the table, and you just have they realize they're eating on Eddie's corpse. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, that wild. was jarring. Mm-hmm. That's a very yeah. The movie's not afraid to be gross, right. uh, which is where I think it gets some of its fun from. Uh, and yeah, I mean, reading a little bit about the production, it seemed like it was fun and memorable, but also like a bit of a nightmare with like a lot of people getting sick and like the water not functioning really and no heat in a lot of the rooms. And they're like in the middle of nowhere in England, you know, so it's clammy castle and leather shorts. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it's like dirty fun. It's dirty fun. And I feel like the fun of making it uh, is clearly like in the, the spirit of it. And how it plays out. Let's tell people how we rate movies on Be Real, and we'll come back and everybody shall rate Rocky Horror. On Be Real, we rate movies in two categories a good or bad for technical quality, and a good or bad for watchability. So, what are the four possible ratings? I don't care! Good, good movies are both well made and highly entertaining The Fugitive, Parasite, Rear Window, or The Hunt for Red October. Once more, we play our dangerous game. Good bad movies are often impressive technically, but also tough sits. Historical melodramas like The Mission, horror movies too scary or gross to rewatch, or self serious musicals like Yentl. Papa, can you hear me? Conversely, bad good movies are highly flawed but still gratifying. Nonsensical hangouts like Hot Tub Time Machine or ludicrously fun action fare like Twister or Stargate. Give my regards to <clears throat> King Todd, asshole. <clears throat> Bad, bad movies are neither well-made nor entertaining. Examples we've covered, unfortunately, include Garden State, Fifty Shades of Grey, and Attack of the Clones. I'm deeply sorry, Master. Got all that? Time for a rating. This seems like a classic and canonical bad good, um, when I'm fine sticking with that. I think the thing that uh, keeps it on track and in an intelligently campy way is you also, for me, 
you never feel like the musical numbers are anything more than a mad person like entertaining themselves with their friends. Um, like they never get like more out of hand than they seem to just be at the whim of Frankenfurter. And uh, again, I just think like Tim Curry mugging the camera is unbelievable. There's lots of moments where I think he goes for like um, like Cersei Lannister understatement, which I like, greatly appreciated. Um, bad good and. Tim Curry is, as everybody knows, fantastic in this. Yeah, I think I agree with you wholeheartedly uh, that it's a bad good. Uh, I think it it's a movie that I don't mind returning to uh, frequently, you know, this time of year. And it is one of these iconic genre-defining performances from uh, a fine actor doing something strange like Tim Curry is here. So yeah, bad good. Can I ask, like, in this instance, like, what would have needed to happen to make it a good good? Just for, like, some 1975 context. Sure. Of, like, a good. I think eight different actors, a different audio mix. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Song sung more clearly, a different ending. Yeah, I think if the story itself had been as good as like the fun on screen that you can remember and tell you what was it was about. Um, I think it'd be and oh my good, good. god, the criminologist interludes add nothing for me. That's fair. Yeah, the criminologist is a pretty lazy move, I would say. Sometimes you'll talk Especially, to him for like two minutes, and then they'll just cut right back to where they were. Like that explanation wasn't needed. Right, he'll just explain things that are explained over the top in the next scene. Um, it is funny that it's Blofeld from the fucking James Bond movies, but other than that, it might it was supposed to be Vincent Price originally, which could have been something else. But again, I think it would have overpowered what else was going on in the movie. Okay, I think I can get behind the bad, the bad good then. Yeah, that makes sense. But like, I would watch it again. See, I feel differently. You I feel like watch it again. No, I don't think I would watch it again. I feel like. I would give it a bad good, and I give it a bad good because... Well, then you would watch it again. Well, is that is, is that part of the rating? Because, because I feel like I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it to the point where I would be like, totally need to see this again. I want to show people, like, it's one of those films. I to think give it a good rating for watchability is one of it's the criteria. but I wouldn't watch it twice. That's fair, right? Well, like, in what... I think you it think sounds it's like bad, bad. something... I think you think yeah, it's, it's bad, bad. I think but it's, I don't it's maybe wanna, bad, bad in your perspective, or wait, maybe a soft, bad, good. Would you watch I it get, again next year? Sure. If okay, so it's like the... And no one had seen it, I would watch it again. Mm, She's just it's not going to double up in a more bad, weekend. good, I think. Can I go with a soft, bad, good? Like, I really appreciated the music and Tim Curry. That's the only really thing that, that kept me going. I think, personally, I'm just not into camp. Sure. And so... But I was okay. so, like... I haven't watched a lot of Tim Curry besides it, which I'd seen a couple years ago. So I feel like this, I was like so impressed with his performance. And I was like, oh my God, wait, he like sings and he's really good. And he's like totally going all in on this role where I'm like totally convinced. And like, I enjoyed watching him, but the scenes without him, I wasn't that into I lost interest or interest towards the end. So the, the end yeah. was a little slow. It's a soft... Bad, bad good. good. I love that modifier. It's a coward's But word. I'm going to give Tim Curry a good good. 
<laughs> yeah, he is. Yes, if we're going character by character, <laughs> yes. So before we go to Legend of 1985, Tim Curry is in another iconically campy cult movie in 1985, where he is Wadsworth the Butler in Clue. I know we got a couple Clue fans on the line here. What does this character and Tim Curry performance mean to you guys? I love a house movie. <laughs> this was Knives Out circa yeah. 1985. Holy yeah. shit. You really stake in this territory. That's high praise. Okay, that was high praise. But um, <laughs> no, he was like charming and fun. And that was just like another like quick one that kept my attention. Maybe yeah. we. it was also the case that we watched it first. So like I was on this one of true. four this movies. Very, yeah, it's Mary and Lucy. Yeah, and you got to like get me at the beginning. She um, lost it movie too, I'm sure. <laughs> Clue's kind of the ultimate house movie. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I love yeah. a house movie. I love, like, the hidden corridors and, like, seeing what the set can, like, do for the um, plot, which is literally what this was about. There were, yeah. like, so many options. By now, she was dead. We laid her down with our backs to the freezer. One of us slipped through the same secret passage. Again? Of course, back to the study. The murderer was in the secret passage. Meanwhile... Mr. Body be on the floor. He jumped up. The murderer came out of the secret panel, picked up the candlestick. Uh-huh. Mr. Body followed the side of the study into the hall looking for an escape. The murderer crept up behind him and killed him. Will you stop that? No. I really love Clue, and I don't love that people don't love Clue. It's got some pretty negative ratings. Um... It's just such a fun, campy, like if you're going to make a board game movie, make it with the level of silliness that this one has. I think it has its flaws and it's definitely dated uh, in, you know, like the gay panic and the blatant sexism. But, you know, other than that, I think it's oh, pretty amusing. So aggressive. Mm-hmm. The three endings were really mind blowing as a kid. Were they? Oh, I didn't Why? know you could do that in a movie. Oh, mm. should you? I preferred it to just have one. <laughs> I I felt like I was like, let's wrap it up. I was ready. I was ready to move on. I think two options is acceptable. And you, like, of course, you need to have three to keep it odd. But like Tim Curry, like running frantically by the third ending was a little like, like can, I was out of breath. Can we say, is there an argument to be made that it feels a little bit lazy to include more than one ending? Yeah, it like oh, wow. doesn't have an ending. Like, is that, is that too bold to say? But that's kind of how I feel. Can you criticize a ninety-four-minute movie for really only having seventy minutes and then three different endings? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Chance doesn't love Clue. I've never loved Clue, um, or I rather, I didn't love it when we watched it on the movies about games episode we did with Tag and Game Night a couple years ago. Um, I think Tim Curry is, again, the best part of it because he's sort of like trying to win some sort of award for like, um, like best tour Most guy. actor. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll somersault into the kitchen and uh, <laughs> I'll do a 360 like spin out into the, into the study. Tim Curry's just like so extra that he's yeah. like so hard to not watch. Mm-hmm. Right. He snaps to attention like 200 times. Am I remembering that right? He definitely like straightens up and clicks his heels a few, mm. 
Oh, yeah. To really make a point. Can I sprinkle in my TC fun facts for you? Hit us with it, Lucy. Um, Tim, This is Tim Curry's favorite movie. Um, and by the end, because the endings were so frantic and he had to do so much running when they were filming them, he actually had to be put on high blood pressure medication. Oh, Let it be known. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm just full of I them. I hope it was worth it. You're crushing it in the TC Fun Facts Corner. <laughs> I Thank think you that's for all these. I've got. You're welcome. It's almost like having him here on the program. But Clue was fun. I'm into Clue. Mm-hmm. And now I will pass it off to you three to talk about Legend. Lucy <laughs> <laughs> <right>. Kelsey. <laughs> so Legend is one of those movies where, like, had I heard of this movie? Maybe. Sort of. But then you look at it. And it's like, oh, there's a Tom Cruise movie that I maybe don't know. And then it mm, starts and you're like, this is, a Rid- <laughs> this is a Ridley Scott and Tom Cruise movie I maybe don't know. It's such, it's such a red flag considering yeah. like how A-list this movie is that I had never heard of it. Yeah. It's like a couple years after Blade Runner and one year before Top Gun. Like, how did this slip through the cracks? doesn't bode well. It was definitely, yeah, it was definitely like a stutter step towards much better things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, you want to synopsize I'm so glad to hear, yeah, I'm so glad to hear that you're critical off the, off the bat, Chance, because I was worried afterwards, because sometimes we watch these movies and I go, this movie doesn't make any sense, dot, dot, <laughs> dot. I bet Chance loves it. Um, <laughs> so this one is, a young man must stop the Lord of Darkness Tim Curry, from destroying daylight, quite literally, and marrying a woman he loves, he being the young man. Jack. Jack. Yeah. Though there is that monologue where the Lord of Darkness seems that he also loves Mia Sarah. Oh, yeah. There is, this is the one that made me think about because he's like a, you know, a, a, a devil. He's like Hellboy with the horns still on. Um, it's like a big part of Tim Curry's screen presence is a level of seduction. He's very sexy. He's like the sexiest guy with two antlers sticking out of his head you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, so this movie, I texted, I watched it at like one in the morning last night. And oh, God. <laughs> I, by the end, you poor I, re- bastard. I really thought I was still, still 100% sober, by the way. And I thought I was like dreaming by the time it was ending. Like with the where they're throwing around the shields to make the prison, oh, I'm yeah. like, am I still awake? Like, what is happening <laughs> in this in this movie? Um, you guys watched it in the cold light of day. It sounded like, <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, it was a midday uh, <laughs> affair. Something really special that I've been promising to show you. Always go now. of it are incredibly simple it's just like a bunch of the simplest fantasy cliches there's like a dark necromancer 
who wants to trap a unicorn using an innocent princess. And then there's like a hermetic hero um, who needs to be called to action. And there's like some elf helpers and then they go fight the Dark Lord. Like it, it's, it's not like a little less fantasy and a little bit more like fairy tale, if we're being honest, especially in its movements from moment to moment and place to place. It's like flipping a sort of semi-illustrated page. And I mean, you got to know something is amiss to second red flag with this movie is the 2500 word prologue that like <laughs> scrolls up the screen for 15 minutes before that thing then unfolds in front of you it was very bizarre to have that kind of like reading obligation up front like you don't want to have people scream like breed it oh i'm gonna get my glasses right. <laughs> like as you're into this movie that was so good it was- but wait no it's funny you say that because i have a little bit of trivia i'm gonna beat lucy to it where I read that Ridley Scott really tried to make it more of a fairy tale and that he was taking things from Disney, such as Sleeping Beauty, Snow White. And as I'm watching it, I can totally see that. And especially with the prologue, they're bringing in the word, they're bringing in that like almost like once upon a time type deal where they're setting up the story for you. Did it work? <laughs> Oof. Um... <laughs> no, I texted you last night. This is like the movie willow if you're on mescaline and someone tells you that god is dead um (laughs) that's that's what this puppy is like because the scenes go on like a very simple scene of tom of jack being like princess this is a unicorn that goes on for like eight minutes of them like in a ravine looking at a horse with a stick glued to its head um and considering you remember when the stick broke and they hot glued it back and then the unicorn came back to life Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the unicorn wasn't dead. Oh, yeah. Spoiler: <laughs> the unicorn's not dead at all. Oh, it's God, a- sorry. Absolutely crazy how good like the makeup effects are in this movie, and yet like mm-hmm. it's a you can tell that it's like a piece of plastic that's like taped to a horse. It the the it looks <laughs> just terrible yeah. considering that like yeah. you the Tim Curry makeup should have won an Oscar. I mean, yeah. we at know least where the budget went. Real sure. horses, yeah. At least. I think, though, that this movie, like, it does have some really cool production design. It also just has some, like, excessive set design. Uh, that That's the problem with this movie is that, like, it, it sort of trades in excess without really having, like, a beating heart to it. Because, like, the Mia Sarah tom Cruise relationship is not that sparky uh and they don't really have any chemistry it was funny uh brie exclaimed when we were watching it that like (laughs) when she does end up with tim curry it almost like makes more sense they seem to have more of a rapport i was rooting for them i wanted them to make it work i was like honestly go into the darkness because i don't really know what the other guys got to offer it's a great point absolutely it it did seem like they were more on each other's page in terms of like long-term expectations i would much rather her go evil and have an interesting character arc than just be naive and young forever so that's yeah and that becomes the most interesting part of like the the scenes Mm -hmm. tim curry's in but this world only really has it, these it, there's two acts basically there's the first act that is in the forest and then there's the second act which is just like underneath the forest question mark 
and you're like suddenly inside and there's fire everywhere and it's not quite clear like how you transcended these two planes and then we're fighting the devil but he's also seemingly very mortal in a lot of ways the good parts of this movie have nothing to do with the story um I, but I I, did, I agree. I think that the uh, like the sort of ballet seduction scene where Mia Sara dances with the faceless kind of count um, is really breathtaking in a weird like cologne commercial kind of way. Um, and this is like Ridley. It's funny you say that because that's what Ridley Scott did uh, his project between this and Blade Runner. And hadn't he just done the the 1984 Mac commercial too? Oh yeah. Like you really It's all just You feel that it's so sleek and so expensive looking. And like Ridley Scott's never made a movie that was bad looking. Um you compared this to Spawn earlier, Noah, which like that's a movie that looks like it's the inside of a Windows like ninety eight gateway. Like this movie looks expensive and is kind of arresting at some point. But um can we talk cruise? It's yes. You know what this movie needs so much more of is Cruz running places. (laughs) Like if there's a lot of him ducking down and like looking around corners, but there was like not enough of him in a dead sprint. A lot of golem squats. Mm, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His poor knees. Honestly, he's young. He was fine. Did either of you feel like when he shows up? And he is like on all fours and he's like not saying anything. Did you have a moment where you're like, is Tom Cruise going to talk in this movie? (laughs) I hoped for a second that maybe it was like a mute performance from him (laughs) that we've just (laughs) never heard about. Yeah. I mean, in the end, did he ever say anything actually important? Like it could have been mute, honestly. I don't really know what he said. Well, I think. I love you. Brie, I think you're forgetting the iconic line Why is it like this? Why is it winter? <laughs> Where would we be without that line? That was a question that I also had early on with this film. Uh, why, after the, the first unicorn lost its horn, why was it? Why was it winter? You know, it's like the reverse Punxsutawney Phil. It's like if the unicorn loses its horn, that means six more weeks of winter. He's yeah. Cruz is real. I went from howling at every single thing he said to basically forgetting he was in the movie because mm-hmm. like it just makes him run around with like little like elves and <laughs> it, there's nothing cruisy in about it at all no and there's that what's the deal with the fairy who's like no she's like upset a lot of it a lot of the time and it's unclear ask. why her feelings get hurt early on <laughs> well, i was unclear because i think tom cruise didn't want her maybe i don't we didn't really know how about some tim curry again like best it's part of his it. like best part I was I was telling Noah and Lucy. I said the way he enunciates his T's, there's just something about the, it. Okay, it's okay. This podcast that's is actually right. about Tim Curry's mouth. Yes, that's like, all yes. this is about. He, it's like, just his, his mouth, mouth movement, the way he speaks, the way he enunciates. I mean, I could watch him in that devil costume all day. But it's still. I mean, he's under two hundred pounds of prosthetics. Yes. But you're so right. It's still but his lips still, and that, his teeth. Yes. yes, I'm so engrossed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, his teeth are good. Yeah. His teeth are good. <laughs> Even with the um, Yeah, the yeah. costume, the costume's unbelievable. It sort of looks like, I was texting you about this chance, it sort of looks like, you know, he's some sort of 
it's almost like Space Jam or something where he like represents like the 90s Chicago Bulls or something with this kind of Dennis Rodman look to him, sure. which is so he's it's so evocative and it's hard to look away, but he he's terrifying and he's got these horns and then like the little ears that come even at, like underneath the horns. There's yeah. so much just coming out of him. This chin. Oh, there's it's it's whatever the, the sharper version of Bulbous is. He does seem like the one who probably convinced Jerry Krause not to extend Phil Jackson's contract. Yeah, that's it. There's a little. That's what he felt like a character from The Last Dance. Yeah. Some uh, simple conversation. I have nothing to talk about. You've stolen my dreams away. All things change, lady. The dreams of youth are the regrets of maturity. Dreams are my speciality. Through dreams, I influence mankind. My dream is of eternity with you. Okay, like a little Monday morning quarterbacking on, on the Lord of Darkness, though. If you are he... Which are ye? Uh, sorry, if you were he, <laughs> would you <laughs> would you have called out the thing about light destroying you, like for the whole room to hear? If you're going to, yeah, if you're really like planning this evil scheme that does require s- poaching of very two specific animals, and then the only thing that can trip you up is sunlight. I don't, yeah, I don't know if I'd like I'd advertise. Right. But then, um, of course, I he, love the thing with the, the lights on the plates. It's like the, that scene in The Mummy when they like light up the death city. Love it. Bree, to your point about the tease, my favorite Curry line in this movie, which is sort of like unexpectedly deep, is when he says, uh, dreams of youth are the regrets of maturity. Mm, yes, the tease! <laughs> the that was probably tease. the line that did it for me. Like yeah. He pronounced every single T in that sentence, and I was just like, oh, he's so right. Yes, I will marry you. End of story. He is Into the, the darkness I go. Into the darkness, yeah. So I'm sorry, okay. you were attracted to Tim Curry in this role? No, I wouldn't say attracted, but I would say I'm attracted to what he offers. <laughs> The, this being bad, the Dark guys, Lord. Bad boys like yes. have more. I don't thought. know. I just Tom Cruise was such a dud for me, and I'm and oh, I think yeah. I would almost rather have <laughs> darkness than lightness. That's just me. yes. He's like the guy on a motorcycle, like compared to. I'm gonna, those are Lucy's words, not mine. But <laughs> I mean, he's just like more intriguing. Yeah, I think That's he like offers true a much of more any like dark character. Life. I was yeah, yeah, much Sarah more didn't that. have a lot going on. She just wanted exactly. to touch things that but were shiny. She would she would have had more had she said yes. I will just I, that's how I feel. Right, the what Lord of Darkness really with... would have like opened up her her view of the world. Maybe. Fantastic. What are we rating legend? I don't mean to be hyperbolic, Chance, but I think this is maybe the worst movie we've watched for the podcast. (laughs) That's stupid. Really? Noah, you brought up Spawn earlier. Spawn is so much worse than this movie. 
at least Spawn has like that kind of underdog spirit going for it that you can tell it's like an independent film that could never be the thing that like they wanted it to be. Whereas this one's like, it seems like they put a script around these effects they wanted to do. I would like to call out some movies we reviewed that are clearly worse than this one, (laughs) including but not limited to The Saint, which is worse than this. The Saint has a certain watchability to it, especially if the context is you, me, and your sister on like a conference call. The Al Pacino film Hangman is much worse than this. Okay, I'll give you that Hangman's... But this one's just such a disaster. Monster it's just in like law. Hangman knew that it was like streaming content. <laughs> like this is a big budget A-list movie that went totally off the rails. And that's what makes it almost watchable. Bat. You know, I'm going to like Michael Keaton in 1989 Batman. I'm prepared to get fucking nuts about this. I think this is a bad, good movie. It is a phantasmagoria. <laughs> Chance, you weren't even awake. Come on. Are you really giving this a bad, good? That's absurd. No, I would never watch this again. It's a bad, bad. <laughs> I think it's a unanimous bad, bad. Some great insanity. Oh, I wait. I my devil advocate. I don't know. I feel like because your first bad is for like production value, correct? Technical quality. I mean, the effects were. I I, like Noah and I were talking about this earlier. The practical effects, what you called it. Yeah, I much (laughs) prefer that. So I would give that a good, and then I'm I'm inclined. To give it a good good, just because. Whoa! I know. I <laughs> I don't. I almost don't want to say that, but I just feel like out of the three that we watched, this was the most interesting to me. Even Bri, though if you I didn't have like a hundred and fifty hike photos to go through while you were watching this movie in the background, <laughs> you would have like gone to another rental <laughs> yes. twenty minutes in. No, you did not let me finish, though. I would say. For certain scenes, because overall, it's I was overall. Bored. It's an overall. Oh, if overall she was bored, she says. I think you could make a compelling case that it's a good bad. That like it looks so good and so inventive, but it's takes forever to get through. Because I'm all about like high fantasy getting its um like big budget and getting its due and getting like a great director and like having its moment where it, this obviously fell flat. No one has heard of it, <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I just, I don't think it was just because of what Princess Lily and and the Darkness guy. I think that was the only, that was what had it. I wish the whole thing was about them, rather, even though it really didn't quite make sense. But I, guys, I have I to argue not to um, like cut down Breeze take on this because I didn't really watch it but just based on that argument if it didn't really make sense I feel like that's bad doesn't the plot Probably. need to make sense isn't that a piece that goes into the okay fine then I give it a good bad but I did I would rather watch this one again than the other two you can give it a soft good good Amazing. You can give it a soft. if you had given this a good good I would have like mailed you my microphone and <laughs> wandered into, and wandered into the woods I just want to create a little anarchy on this podcast, all right? Let's throw a little, like, difference in here, you know? Okay. 1990, it? In 1960, seven preteen outcasts fight an evil demon who poses as a child-killing clown. 
30 years later, they reunite to stop the demon once and for all when it returns to their hometown. It's not just us. It's all the other kids, too. Who's going to be next? It kills kids, damn it. You killed my brother George, you bastard. Let's see you now. Maybe it's the water. Water. Maybe it's the sewer. Hi, Georgie. <laughs> so let me ask you a big question now, because you know you read this book a couple years ago. Bree, did you say you'd read it or seen the just seen? seen no, both I movies? haven't read it. I've just seen all of the movies. Okay, this is a leading question, of course. So you can disagree with the premise if you want. Is there a good way to adapt this book? Yes. I think if you gave this, you know, like the HBO miniseries treatment and really got into the fun, like detailed stories that each character like goes through and how their personal arc is like tied in with that thing they fear most cuz that's the that's the it clowns thing it like it makes you see the thing you fear most and i think with the remake the theatrical ones that just came out a couple of years ago did smartly at least in the first one was really focusing on those childhood struggles and like why the characters were afraid of those specific things so I think if you have like a whole episode or something to dedicate to that story and then just really like the the history of this town, because I think that, I mean, just like that the house is so important in Rocky Horror and Clue, you know, for this one, the town itself needs to feel very both remote, but also big enough that these things can happen and people can just ignore it. Mm hmm. I guess that's a long way of saying there is a good way to do it, but I don't think, I mean, these, the two movies are basically the same. It's like nearly four hours for both of them to tell this story. Uh, and I think they both have good things about them and they both have not so good things about them. Yeah. I was just struck by how cumulatively the, it's so kind of, buffet style where it's like okay i have to watch every child get scared once and then i have to watch every adult get scared once and you're just that structure or lack thereof is so inherent to like incidental hits and misses of these mini set pieces that i think what you're saying makes sense i think if you gave say every character a half hour and then did one that was just like about the history of the town you could like throw it back that makes more sense to me than just like four hours of 14 scare incidents. Yes. And I think both properties make that mistake, but in defense of the movies and their adaptation, um, that's kind of how the book works too. I mean, he kind of works his way through, you know, here's how this character got scared. Okay. Now we're in Eddie's story. Now we're in Bev's story. Like this is how she gets scared. So that's kind of what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that plays out differently in a, like a mini series or like dedicating specific episodes to character development than it does. And it reads differently too than it does when you are just like going one to the other to the other and it like making the rounds twice. That is what it feels like making the rounds. 
I mean, this was the visual representation of it for 25 years. How does it compare to the blockbusting Andy Muschietti movies from the last couple of years? But yeah, for me, I guess I was surprised how not bad the 91 is. Like, I was expecting it to be much inferior to the new ones. But in many ways, I think there are things that are better about this one up into including maybe the representation of the it clown. Like I really do like the Tim Curry, like grouchy old man who then pivots into horrible beast thing, you know, more than maybe I like, um, who's the new one? Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. His sort of, I'm a kid too. like come play with me kind of clown. Mm-hmm. I found the more recent um, remake um, of the first movie more enjoyable because I thought the actors were better. Like, I remember just laughing out loud during that movie, and I, I remember being more, like, enjoying it more than I was scared of it. I feel like for the end, I felt like, like, for part two, I felt like the same way about both of them, where it's like you just get to a point where watching adults battle a clown just isn't the same as watching kids do it. And it, it just, like, I even going back to the adaptation questions, like, I, I think when you read about adults fighting a clown, it just it just works better than a, than in a visual sense. It just, I, I think it's just, you get bored, it feels weird, especially when it becomes a spider, like, it just doesn't land. Yeah, with the final representation of the, the It monster, and then, yeah, whether it's Bill Hader and company, you know, two years ago now or was it last year uh who can what is time um (laughs) or you know the john boy from the waltons uh taking down this thing with his ponytail it really just doesn't feel like it's that scary because it's yeah i mean it's i mean we can talk about the ponytail for another 25 minutes yeah this may be being charitable but like there's a way in which the adult characters have been sort of anesthetized and become like amnesic in certain ways to the point in this in this um the second half of the 1990 version where they like they cannot get to the climax they like they keep they keep eating and drinking and being like i might go and like nobody ever asks mike why he called them back like it takes an hour for mike to explain why they're there but i think there is some point that Stephen King is trying to make about the nature of trauma and how like these people cannot remember stuff enough to finish the movie. But it's, it's such a slog to watch. I thought the last 45 minutes of this. Um, Come on up, Richie. I got a balloon for you. (laughs) Don't you want a balloon? (laughs) What's the matter? One balloon. Not enough. Try a bitch! (laughs) I I feel like Bill Skarsgård is like almost too talented sometimes as new Pennywise to even parse what he's doing with his face versus what is CGI. Um, And certainly I think the new Pennywise is scarier because of what they can do with computers Mm -hmm. and the, and the way that, you know, he moves so swiftly, but just like compare the iconic Georgie arm scene. um, It is 
you know, more terrifying in some ways when a computer mouth like literally bites off his arm. But it's yeah. a different kind of fear when a guy is in the sewer who's like, I think the John Wayne Gacy comparison is like very pronounced and he just like grabs you and an old man is just holding the kid. Like that is right. terrifying in its own way. Yeah. It sort of embodies the, you know, like there's oh the, the creepy old guy over there and it's like, Oh, well he wouldn't do that. Would he? And then seeing those moments of violence are realized are terrifying. And I do think that that because it feels a little bit more, realistic instead of you know like yeah bill skarsgård's eyeball rolling around or something as the balloon floats by it just feels a little bit more unexpected maybe yeah isn't there something creepier too though about the tim curry pennywise in that like clowns like while they are sort of scary it's not because they're meant to be scary like clowns are supposed to be funny and so there's something like intriguing about him And the way that he, like, puts on this act of both, like, manipulating these kids and, like, not horrifying them, but, like, being, like, a little campy and, like, funny creepy, but then, like, totally switching it and then being, like, horrifying versus, like, sounds like in the remake, he's just scary. It's a great point. Yeah. Well, I do like that dynamic that you're right. He's not trying to like have them scared at all times. He's also trying to like double up on that in making it not only are you frightened, but like, I'm fucking with you. Like I'm doing this to get a rise out of you the way a clown, like is like, Ooh, to like get a rise out of somebody except doing something horrible instead of doing something innocuous. The jester component is like way stronger with Curry. For sure. Like every set piece of like, is that a clown in a grave just standing there? And him being like, ah, like it's way more like circus behavior. Yeah. I feel like too, even he pops more in the, in the original, just because I feel like it's kind of like a muted um, film, but then he's so bright. So like even in that graves scene, it's just like, it's jarring to see. Whereas in the remake, I think I find it pretty colorful and he Mm. almost, kind of like melts into it which is has its own sense of fear because you don't maybe you don't see him right away but yeah that's a great point the visuals of this one have a way of making that it made me feel like i was kind of losing it like the characters are because you're like that guy is really there does nobody else see him like he doesn't fit yeah in the live the scene with the the balloons in the library when Mm richie comes back i think is probably the best uh yeah. pennywise yeah. scene in the movie for me because i there's just like people behind pennywise like looking at uh travel books and shit and like no, <laughs> yeah notices like a man in the frame in the same like matting as everyone else just throwing blood balloons and speaking of practical effects too i think this movie has some incredible practical sequences especially the one I'll note is the shower sequence. Yes. Where um, it's, which one is it? It's Eddie Kasprak, I think. He's in the shower because uh, the coach has told him that he has to take a shower uh, after going to gym. And like 
the pipes and the the shower heads start like moving at him and spraying hot water at him and then this hand comes out of the drain and then like uh, he uh, the Pennywise clown comes out and the the tiles sort of move out of the way for him as if they were sort of like a I don't even know an accordion or something. It's really visually quite interesting that they were able to pull that off without really the use of computers. I mean, like, the shower scene, like, an old man popping up in the drain as fucking, like, phallic handles grow and grow and grow when he's been forced to be naked in the shower is just, like, inherently fucked up and suggestive in a way that, like, you're just not going to see in a $200 million Warner Brothers movie in 2016. And to say that's brave is a little weird, but it is. (laughs) Are there any uh, Losers Club performances, child or adult from 90, that we want to shout out? Who do people like? Brie was praising Seth Green last night. The only time yes. he's ever been cast as oh, oh. tall. <laughs> <laughs> tall and having a deep voice. Yeah, as tall as he's ever been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Like five years after that, they're like, you get Eddie roles now <laughs> for the next 20 years. Yeah. I think he just gave me the humor I was craving because I just found the remake so enjoyable. I really liked um, Annette O'Toole. Um, who, for those keeping score at home, uh, is married to Michael McKean and wrote the kiss at the end of the Rainbow song in Mighty Wind. Um, That's funny. So there's a weird be real callback. Um, but yeah, I think she's really good in this sort of like weird, like 50s to 80s way where, you know, everyone's like sort of in love with her, but she's she's managing it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this movie really gets more into, and talking about like just sort of being brave for television, this movie gets into the physical abuse between her and her father and the man she's dating in a way that the new movies really doesn't. Um, It's also interesting too, piece of, here's a, I'll pull out my own factoid. This is the first (laughs) movie, TV movie in which a puddle of blood was featured. They nice. pre- previously it was thought to be too gory to do that. I was wondering if do you think the kids ever like after receiving decades upon decades of torture from Pennywise, do you think they ever just like tired of blood splatter? They're like Pennywise, we've seen that one before. A lot <laughs> of your stuff is blood splatter, dude. You yeah, mean. that's the gotta... whole thing, though. It's like they can't get over him. They're not ever gonna get over him. Hmm. Some of his gambits are a little bit more amusing than others and like more thought out. Like I have to say, you know, some of them are great. Like the shower sequence is incredible. Uh, This one also has a really good Chinese food restaurant sequence. But I have to say like the John Ritter yellow balloon that says turn back now isn't (laughs) necessarily the most frightening of his uh, trying to get them to not fight him again. But that's right after right before Kiss Me Fat Boy, which is great. Oh yeah, yeah kiss fat boy. He like lures them He loves in. calling him fat boy. And that's the curry thing. He's still like, I am going to seduce you. Um, yes. It's With so, that mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this also, and I can't believe I didn't like think of this with legend, but like this is the movie that cements like, oh, his like speaking baritone is a weapon. Um, an acting weapon that like lands him in the realm of someone like a Vincent Price. Um, where just the way, again, with the, the Scarsgard comparison, like 
Skarsgård's You'll Float 2 sounds like, you know, Yoda with less gruff. <laughs> and this is like, he is enraged by the time he says, and by, like, when you <laughs> down float with too. Me, You'll Float 2. It's like a butcher from Queens throwing you out of his shop or something. <laughs> we should probably save this for the end, but I'll, I'll just do it now. I'm also thinking of like other things I've seen Tim Curry in and they all like his part in Congo, which is a terrible movie. The most memorable <laughs> thing he does in that movie is like eat a bunch of sesame cakes and fill his cheeks so full and then like spit it out when Del Lindo is like stop eating my sesame cake and then he like spits a bunch of like bread out and it's just like how big is this guy's fucking mouth and then the first time I ever saw Tim Curry was in a, a episode of USA's Monk where he um, <laughs> he played this like maniacal character named Dale the Whale Biterbeck and it was also just like eating and spitting and like, yeah, the mouth a, is the thing with him. He's a mouth actor. There's a few of those right. out yeah. there. He, he is one. Well, his yeah. iconic moment from Home Alone 2 is also like his ability to do the Grinch smile at the mm-hmm. concierge Holy desk shit. at the Plaza Hotel. Like all of his, all of our memories of him as an actor are, are, are mouth related. That's amazing. Good, good pull. I would argue that like mouth actors, and I'm thinking specifically like Carrie Washington. Don't get me started. She's like a distracting mouth actress, and she is like My hard. Blood is boiling. She's hard to watch sometimes, but Extremely like really hard to watch. Every Tim Curry like mouth performance, it's yeah. not like a. It's not off-putting. Well, he's, he's a good mouth actor, and she is a bad mouth actor. Okay, that's, that's like that's, maybe the situation yeah. here, but like. Yeah. I she feel wishes like she was she a mouth had that actor. Mouth that mouth she had that mouth. Okay, too much. Sorry. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, Kerry Washington, bad mouth actor. I didn't know that he was the voice of uh, Nigel Thornberry, which... Eliza! I, <laughs> yes, I knew it I was going to do it. <laughs> Eliza, we heard... <gasps> Lord Nelson's trousers, it's a yeti. No creature threatens a thornberry. I'm going to give it a good bad because I think there are interesting things about it. There are like things about its limitations that I think um, force it to be more interesting, not limited to also just the fact that it's like shot in a creepy old town in a creepy old sewer system, like on a weird lily pad reservoir, which is... Um, forever sort of more eerie than again having 200 million dollars to to design such a thing um and tim curry's great and i think it's probably a good bad i'm not gonna i don't think i'm gonna pop this one on again anytime soon but like very happy to have seen it i think i'm gonna disagree i really do like the the it property and i'll sort of cop to that um but I think this one's good, good. You know, I think it's good in ways that the new one isn't um, in that the effects feel a little bit more practical and a little bit more fun to deconstruct. I mean, some of them are like, I mean, it's not quite like uh, American Werewolf in London or whatever, but it's oh there are God. some really cool uh gross things that happen uh, in a way that I guess is safe for TV at this time. Uh, so I, I, I see what you're saying about the, the limits of it. Um, but I don't know. I really found this one pretty charming and it is kind of a, 
you know, this construct of 90s TV, too, uh, with John Ritter, um, you know, with Richard Thomas in it as well. Um, and then, yeah, Tim Curry's performance, like you're just you're kind of waiting to, of course, as the movie goes, you're waiting to see Pennywise again. But as the viewer goes through, I feel like I was waiting to see Tim Curry again. And that was enough to pull me through. Good, good. I think I have to agree with that. At least, like, giving it a soft good good. I feel like this one has... This one's, like, a movie that if you were to watch it again, like, next year, because it's four and a half hours long, um, you do get something... 307. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, you do, like... I think you get something... You'll probably get something new from it. I feel like there's... You know, it brings up some interesting conversations. I do think that it was fun and, like, creepy... Um, and like, if you have a snack break in between, definitely manageable in an afternoon. Okay. How do you feel? I think I'm going to go and agree with Chance on this one. I, yeah, I'm going to give it a good, bad. I just feel that, I feel like the way the film was structured when they were doing like the parallel scenes of like young and old, that just didn't really grab my attention as much I just felt like I never really got a chance to learn each I don't say character because it's the same character but like young and old I just didn't really get a chance that I really got to get to know them um and it did just feel like long at some point and a tad bit slow for me maybe not enough scares um, you wanted to be more scared yeah maybe a little more scared because they're just you can so you can just tell how traumatic it is and how scary terrified they are and so it's like hard to get behind their reactions if you don't like yeah. feel that. it like their their trauma like makes me believe it but I was never really scared in the movie and I think maybe that just goes it needs to be a longer miniseries because I need to really get to the the reasoning behind the scares okay we did it <laughs> we did it any more? Do we have any more TC fun facts are we out is the I think I'm bear? out of I think I'm out of TC fun facts but let me say All that right. Tim Curry has been a welcome guest at this Vermont mm-hmm. cabin. I did not quite know. And now I know. No, he, he is, is a good, yeah, good he... mouth actor. Would watch another film with him. Well, let's do another TCFF. A Tim Curry fond farewell. This has been very fun, you guys. Um, no. <laughs> um. <laughs> fun fact works, too. <laughs> Come Enjoy on, the girl. rest of your weekend. And, 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 and please, don't, uh, don't go into any sewers up there. I've been telling Noah all weekend. I have final girl vibes for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy and my hubris will definitely take us down early on. Absolutely. We're, we're prologue. We're prologue, prologue murders at best. <laughs> Bri, as the lone survivor, will you send me the audio, please? I will. Absolutely. All right, thank Got you. it. Um, well, <laughs> this was fun, guys. Uh, happy Halloween, everyone. And Ooh, happy uh, Halloween. thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Don't get strung out. By the way I look, don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man by the light of day, but by night I'm one hell of a love.